Welcome back, I'm Kim Bailey, she's William Osborne and this is Inside Exec. Today we're continuing answering some of the questions that have been sent in to us. Next question, how do I make myself necessary but not indispensable? We're indispensable, <laughs> we know that. Oh, I'm kind of ne the opposite that. <laughs> necessary but not indispensable. I think it's, I'll, I'll use a term that's way overused, this, the adding value of things. Adding value is more about when I'm here, am I able to contribute a different viewpoint, a different experience, a different perspective, a different solution? And each and every person should be able to say yes to that. If we're saying indispensable, there is no one who is indispensable. So even if it's the owner-manager of a company, they in a position where if they decided to, for whatever reason, unforeseen circumstances, they have to dump the company and run for personal health, whatever reasons, somebody will pick it up. Things might go down a bit, they'll come back up again. So I think making yourself necessary is making sure that you're continuously learning and growing yourself. You're bringing new ideas and utilizing all the experience that you got over the years and continue to take to make the place where you're working better. I don't like either of the words. I don't like make myself necessary and but not indispensable. Yeah. We joke about it, but no one is indispensable. But the making myself necessary worries me as a, as a phrase. I think that if you're in a position, you've been selected for a job, you've managed to move up the ladder so that you're in a, a senior executive position, you shouldn't be thinking about making yourself necessary. The skills and the attributes that have got you to this position are things that the organisation has identified they need. So there's no reason for you to be thinking that you should make yourself necessary. You are there because they want what you've got to offer and you just continue to do and use the skills you've got. You are necessary if we have to use that word. Next one's a really interesting one. We have casual Fridays, which I hate. I don't feel comfortable in casual clothes at work. I don't think I do my best work because of that. <laughs> Look, casual Fridays, I don't think there's, there's somebody holding a gun to people's heads saying you will turn up casual. You might decide you don't want to because you're more comfortable with your normal work, work attire and you work better that way, that's great. But then if everyone else is casual and they rip you and say, oh, so, yeah, can't you do that? Again? My feeling in this situation is it, and it, and it maybe it, it's reflective of not just the casual Fridays, but sometimes uh, when we have to go to functions and we're yeah. not so comfortable in the social sense with, with people from work, whatever it is, but then that you're faced with a situation where you're out of the normal way you would approach a work situation with work associates. I do a thing for me called change of state. And that's, uh, if any of you are Tony Robbins fans, then you'll know exactly what I'm going to talk about. But I actually have some triggers so that when I'm feeling a bit displaced, for want of a better word, I have a, a way of changing my state so that I feel empowered and I feel positive and I feel like I'm, I can handle this situation because I'm in a, my head is in a better space. And so I would encourage you all to have a look through the Tony Robbins stuff. There's both videos and books that will show you how to do that, very simple exercises. It's based on you think about 
a time when you were in complete control and in power and you anchor that by touching somewhere you know, on your fingers or on your wrist or somewhere else so that wherever you're in the disempowered state, you make that same physical gesture, touch your fingers or whatever it is that you've anchored to do it and it takes you back automatically to being empowered again. So if you decided to go to non-mufti on a Friday mm. and people give you a hard time saying, oh, don't you know how to be relaxed and casual or whatever, that's up to you to decide whether that is something you respond to or does it bother you mm. and which one bother you more. The one that you're comfortable and do your best work or having to put up with silly remarks, which they'll soon get tired of anyway. Yes, they'll, they'll so, only keep doing it if you react to it. Well, it's the same as we talked about before, and that is about working from home. Even if I'm working on the phone and nobody can see me, I like to be, it doesn't matter what you're wearing yeah. really, but if you feel better by saying I'm in work mode, then, then do it. Just be prepared. So the next one is, can you go back over the way to determine whether you need to attend a meeting or not? <laughs> you should see the smile on her face. And I know I would suggest to any of you, try and get out of the meeting with her and see how well this works. <laughs> but, but let's see what the answer is. <laughs> well, the, the first thing I think, forget other people, your boss and other attendees, and think about the times where you said to yourself, oh, that's such a waste of time, I don't want to go to that meeting, we just heard blah, blah, blah. So you, you talk about why you shouldn't attend the meeting. And then you're not at the meeting, so however you manage it, all nicely, you don't go to the meeting. And next thing, they make decisions, and then you complain. And I said, first of all, be honest with yourself. Can you not be at the meeting and be happy with it? And if you're at the meeting, then you're just as accountable as everyone around the table to make it a successful meeting and not to waste each other's time. My response to this is based more on the years of, of government service. First of all, you need to know that the outcome of a meeting, what that is and where it's going to be used. So if there's no definable outcome of these meetings, then you need to to address that with the group that goes to the meetings to say, why do we have this meeting? Where does the information go? What are, they, what are they for? And that's the first decision. And sometimes that will cut out some of the meetings or the frequency of some of the meetings and cut it back to a more reasonable or manageable time. And then as Fiona said, if you're going, you, you decide what's in it for me. And if you decide to go to the meeting, you are in the meeting, you participate. You don't sit there and say, oh, didn't want to come, I wish I hadn't come, I've got all these other things to do. You made that decision to go to the meeting, you go and you participate. If you don't, if you decide that you're not going to go to the meeting because every other meeting that you've gone to with this group has been a waste of time, then you have to accept that you will take on board anything that is decided at the meeting when you're not there. But also make it a policy that any meetings get reviewed regularly to just see if they're still relevant or do they need to change in any way. But there's always an agenda that comes out before the meeting, that the meeting sticks to the agenda, all of the things that make meetings worthwhile. No, number 10, nearly halfway. How can I get the type of meeting changed from, say, a face-to-face -face meeting to a teleconference when the costs are much the same? I guess the cost is only one aspect. The saving could be in just travel time. You can be at your desk and having a, a conference call, which save you having to go to another building or even another floor. Or it could be actually travelling to and from 
a meeting. So again, face to face is really good because I think facial contact—I mean, just seeing the person and seeing how people are reacting—has um, an added benefit. But there's sometimes it depends on the meeting. If it's just a status update and you already—it's more about touching base about something. Again, just use common sense for what it is and then just be brave enough to say to the other person, look, do you think this will be suitable for just us doing it on the phone or Skype or FaceTime or whatever it is rather than coming to the meeting? And they might say, look, I don't think it's going to take long. It seems silly to be travelling 15 minutes for a 10-minute meeting. So, again, communicate and make the suggestion. Sometimes you might think one thing and it sounds good from where you're sitting, but when the other person says, well, actually, I've got a document that I can't send or I've got a model I want to show you and it's not online or whatever, there might be another reason for face-to-face. Just hear them out. What about if it's that they're technology-challenged and they just prefer the face-to-face meeting because they don't want to learn or they're not comfortable using the technology mm. alternative. That's different angle as well. So with that, I think that can't be used as an excuse all the time. The thing is is not to threaten them and to try and make them comfortable, mm. but don't just give in to them because be thoughtful, considerate. Show them, sit with them in the room for a couple so they know, oh, it's nothing, I'll just press that button <laughs> and I'm on Skype and I'm talking and I can see them, they can see me and get them familiar with the new technology if they sort of of another um, era, I guess. Then you've done all of that and they're still thinking, oh, I prefer to. Well, then, I, I think yeah. that's probably the best approach. And if I think back to some experience I've had reasonably recently, we introduced it um, sideways, I guess is the best mm. way to describe it. So we had the face-to-face meeting, but there were two people who couldn't attend the meeting because they got snowed in. Even in this country, they got yeah. snowed in and couldn't get to the meeting. And so... They called in via Skype at lunchtime when the meeting it was a day-long meeting, so the meeting was halfway over. And so the others that I knew were hesitant about the technology were able to see how it worked without them being the ones that were the guinea pigs. And there's been a little bit more movement towards acceptance of that as an alternative because they could see that it was working without being put on the spot. Halfway through, how to deal with disapproval. The first thing is, again, back to self-confidence and to saying if somebody is disapproving of me or what I'm thinking or what I'm doing, and then think about... (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're disapproving. you just got to weigh it up. And always, always go with an open mind. They're disapproving. I want to look at that where... Maybe something I could do something about. Maybe something I want to do something about. Or maybe, look, you know, it's just one person's opinion and it really is not that essential. It's just their style and my style and it doesn't matter. You've got to weigh it up. You don't always have to get approval. You don't need to be that sensitive and needy, but you also got to be self-aware and wanting to improve. But I think we need to to clarify the difference between disapproval and disrespect and whether it's personal or whether it's work-related. Because we can certainly disapprove of people on a personal level, but we still need to respect the value that they bring to an organisation or to a task that we're performing. And we've both worked with people that we don't like, basically. Mm -hmm. But we recognise that they have something to contribute to the team, to the task at hand, And so we respect their abilities, 
even though we might disapprove of in their personal values. Uh, how to focus at work when you are distracted with problems. That's really hard to do, actually. So if you are, you've got a, a problem that could be work-related or it could be personal, and that problem could be something emotional, got a sick child at home and you're worried about even though they're in good hands and your other half is looking after the child or whatever, I think the first thing is to say, I'm here to do my job. There's nothing I can do about my sick child right now. And just for now, I'm going to shut out of the worry and concentrate on what I'm doing. Otherwise, I'm no good to either. And I think putting yourself in that situation, and even when you do that, if it is a big enough problem, it might just keep, but just keep bringing yourself back. And you're the only one that can do that. It's actually quite helpful to do that because once you're focusing on what you're doing, you then not worrying, which gives you a clearer head for when you switch back to going home or to another problem. So, for example, within work, if you worried about what your boss just talked to you about, a restructuring that's happening, and that's on your mind while you're working on a project, then it's no point letting that bother you. So I'm going to think about that restructure in more detail and sensitivity. It deserves that, and this project deserves my full attention now and try and separate them and not think of, who cares, I mightn't even have a job, half these people mightn't be there. That's not fruitful, and all it does is make you confused. <laughs> it, it's a reflection now of the idea that multitasking is not a good thing, and so and this is the same situation. Is there's no point in thinking about a multitude of ideas or activities or worries at the one time. One task, one focus, move on. How do you build a relationship and trust in a short period, for example, when you are on contract? You yeah. take them biscuits for morning tea on the first day, <laughs> chocolate biscuits if you really want to impress them. Set the tone, set the standard. <laughs> that would help. Yeah, a lot of people are these days are, are working on contracts. So their contract might be two months, three months, four months, and it's very, very demanding. So they've got to go into a company and work with a new team that only for a few months and achieve and get results. So the first thing is people would say, oh, look, there's another contractor and I just don't need to build a relationship. They won't be here. And the contractor might think, well, it doesn't matter. They yeah. know they hired me to do this job. Let me do it and get out of here. Wrong attitude because at the end of the day, I think you've just got to explain to the people that you're interacting in what are you being tasked to do, how are you planning to do it, and how can that help them. And for you to be able to do that, you've got to ask them. You've got to ask them. So by respecting that they are one of the stakeholders, by respecting that their need need to be met, you already start building a relationship. By then saying, okay, well, this is what I'm, I'm doing about it, blah, blah, blah. I know this is going to take time, but I'm going to need two of your staff for half an hour or whatever. And then just back to say, so that... I'm able to make sure that your needs are clear and being met. So again, that would say I'm thinking about you, I'm trying to deliver a solution that will help you and therefore that would start building relationship and trust. In one of the earlier podcasts, we had a guest who talked about getting to know 
the team and getting to understand what they were like before he actually took on the work, on took on the role and started to introduce things. I think it was Dennis Gans. Yes. So that might be an interesting one to listen to in this instance. But I think that if you've got what I refer to as an audio logo, so something that is a quick, pricey, uh, like a business card that you say, that is about what you do, and you ask for something like that in return from the people that you're going to be working with, that it gives them the opportunity to present themselves mm-hmm. to you and so you then have a better understanding all around without taking up too much time. But it is important to get those communication lines open and to not do the posturing of I'm the contractor, I'm the consultant and so I've been brought in here because you lot can't do this that I'm going to be doing. But it's more about this is the task I'm, and, and I'm quite happy to say this is the task that I'm here to do. I am going to need your help on yep. this because yes. I don't know about this organisation. I don't know what you've done yep. up to this point. I do know the things that I've come across in all sorts of other industries and so I'm happy to share all of that with you and let's see if we can together come up with a solution for this activity or get this task done. That seems like a good place to take a break. We're about two-thirds of the way through answering the questions. I do apologise for some of the sound effects in this particular podcast. We did have some technical support in another couple of rooms behind us, so you would have heard the technical support sneezing at one stage. Be that as it may, we will be back again with the third in this series of podcasts about answering some of your questions very briefly. But for now, I'm Kim Bailey, she's Brianna Osborne, and this is Inside Exec. Thank you.